Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true yoke fellow, help these women, for they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Of all the teachings of the Bible, we are told the one that Christ considered most important. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We know the meaning of life and how we are called to live. The message of the Bible, the greatest commandment, and the most important to Christ is the commandment for us to love God and love all. I remember one Sunday when I got through worshiping here in the sanctuary, I had headed out to the narthex and was standing out there greeting people when a lady came up to me. She was new in the congregation, been here for a little while, but she came up and said, you know, I just really do like our mission statement. I really like that we talk about what does it mean to share God's love and bring hope in the world. And so she said, I have gotten into a habit. I I have a daughter. She's in elementary school. I drive her to work every every day. And so I'm driving her to work, and the last thing I say to her before I let her out to go to school is, how are you going to share God's love today? And she's learned that a good answer is to say, I'm going to be kind. And someday she even is able to tell me the specific thing she's going to do. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow, good job, Mom. I'm going to be teaching your child every day to think, I'm going out into school. How am I going to share God's love today? And I'm just thinking, well done. But then she added, just recently, I got to thinking, I'm asking my daughter every day, how are you going to share God's love today at school but I'm never asking myself that question. And so I've now started as I'm driving to work, after I let her off, asking myself, how am I going to share God's love today and bring hope in the world? And it has changed the way that I look at my job. It really is the foundation and the idea of who we have been as a church for 133 years 
We've been a group of people who have believed that we have been called to share God's love and bring hope in this world. And we have taken seriously how are we going to do that. That's why this morning I want to continue on with this sermon series, Love God and Love All. It is based from Matthew where Jesus is asked, and so what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and mind, your soul and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two laws depend all the laws and all the prophets. In other words, God gave us the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, and He sent the prophets in order to teach us to do two things, to love God and to love your neighbor. So we said that this is going to be our theme for the year, and we wanted to start by this seven-week series looking at how does that happen in a family of faith. And so we decided to look at Paul's letters. Because Paul is trying to write to the churches to help them create a foundation out of which they're able to share God's love and bring hope to the world. So what is Paul saying is the most important things to do? What is Paul trying to tell the early churches? We've already looked at his letter to the Galatians and to the Thessalonians and to the Colossians and to Philemon and to the Romans. And today I want to look at his letter to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy and Silas went to Philippi on his second missionary journey and this would become the first church that he would start in Europe. He went to Philippi and he went down to where he found Lydia and her family and a group of women worshiping down beside the river. Scholars say there must not have been a synagogue in town and so that's why the women were at the river worshiping together. Now, we traveled there a number of years ago from, with a group here from the church on the journeys of Paul. We went to Philippi. We went down to the river to see where it might have been. And I just got to tell you, I am from Texas. And when you talk about a river, I know what a river is. This was a creek. <laughs> I mean, it's this little thing of water kind of running through town. Um, but it was lovely and very spiritual, and I truly found myself standing there thinking, somewhere right around here, Paul, 2,000 years ago, must have been talking to Lydia, and her whole household was baptized, and they started a church there in her home, and the church boomed. I mean, there was such a spirit in that church. I'm sure it was from Lydia, starting it all off to where there was such love, and they believed in Paul. They were always sending him support wherever he was. And that's what this is about today. We believe Paul wrote this letter while in prison in Rome. Being in prison in Rome, he had to count on other people to help for food, shelter, clothing, whatever. And it says from the Philip from the Philippians, they sent him probably a coat, maybe two coats, maybe uh, some sort of a, a quilt, they, they sent food, parchment, whatever it might have been, they sent to him to help him while he was there in prison in Rome because they loved him. 
They believed in him. They believed in the mission. And so Paul was so very grateful, and now he's writing them a letter back. Of all the letters of Paul, his letter to the Philippians is the most warm, heartfelt, caring of all of his letters. If you want to read something that just makes you feel good, go back and read it, specifically the fourth chapter. I could preach a dozen sermons out of Philippians 4. To me, it's one of his best places and the things that he has to say. Now, when I went back and I was reading Philippians 4 to prepare for today, the line that kept jumping out at me was, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And I think about where Paul was. In prison, he faced a very uncertain future. We know the end of the story. He dies. Paul knew that he might die. It was a time of lack. This was a difficult time. And you read the letter, and you'd never know that. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The whole promise is, sometimes you and I are looking around us, and we can rejoice if our health is taken care of, finances is taken care of, relationships are in a good place. No, this was saying you can be in prison facing an uncertain future with lots of struggles and yet because you have faith in Christ you're not afraid, you're finding strength, you're finding peace, you still know joy. You can rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, Rejoice. So how did Paul tell them to create that kind of a spirit in this church? I think he said to do many things, but today we're going to look at two. First of all, Paul said, let all men see your gentleness. I like that. In the RSV it says, let all men see your forbearance. In the New Revised Standard Version, it says, let all men see your gentleness. In other translations, it will say, be known by all men for your gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength. Gentleness is going to be compassion and kindness. There is strength in gentleness. It's the opposite of anger divisiveness, meanness. Let all men know your gentleness. Again, when I'm reading this passage and through here, I immediately started thinking about the AFC championship football game. Now, now, now you may not associate gentleness with football. This afternoon, I know that many of us will be watching the Super Bowl somewhere a hundred million people and we probably won't see a lot of gentleness. No, they're going to be playing their hearts out and hitting as hard as they can hit. I get all that. But seriously, when I read this, I thought of the AFC championship game two weeks ago. If you saw it, you'll remember. It was the Kansas City Chiefs playing the Cincinnati Bengals 
and I was cheering for the Chiefs, but I was watching, and now it came to the end of the game. It was tied 20 to 20. They were coming down to the last seconds. Kansas City had the ball. Patrick Mahomes is trying to move them down the field. They had no timeouts. They came down to the last seconds. Patrick scrambled. He's running to get as many yards as he can, so maybe they can kick a field goal. He picked up five yards and ran out of bounds. If he hadn't gotten out of bounds, time would have run out. They would have gone to overtime. No, he managed to get out of bounds, still way short of field goal range, but he was running hard. He got out of bounds. But Joseph Osai, number 58, defensive lineman, he was chasing him. And he was so intense at trying to stop him from getting out of bounds, trying to tackle him, that even though he got out of bounds, he ran ahead and tackled him anyway. That's a penalty. 15 yards. It would have been a 60-yard try. Their kicker wasn't hitting 60 yards. Now they moved him 45 yards, a 15-yard penalty. He kicked it through the uprights. Kansas City won. And that's why you'll be watching them in the Super Bowl today. And so I'm celebrating. You're watching the people celebrating Kansas City in the last eight seconds. Pulled it out. How exciting. But they kept zooming back over to the Cincinnati Bengals bench. And there you saw Joseph Osai sitting on this bench. His helmet pushed up on his head. His face in his hands and his shoulders were just going up and down. He was sobbing. They kept going back to him over and over again. When you looked, you saw one of the Cincinnati Bengals players just sitting there beside him. Not saying a word, just sitting there beside him. Put his hand on his shoulder. Now and then he'd say something to him. Most of the Bengal players had already left to head to the locker room. Joseph Osai couldn't bring himself to stand up and walk. Head down, he just kept crying. Finally, he did get up to walk to the locker room. I, it had hit me in, in a way of, I thought, I want to know who Joseph Osai is. So I started doing some research. Joseph Osai, he's from Nigeria. It was 10 years ago, his mother had entered a lottery through our immigration system that has a very limited number of immigrants allowed, and she won the lottery. She was one of those who was chosen, and her whole family was allowed to immigrate to the United States. And so they moved to Houston, Texas. The whole family got to come. He was 12 years old. And he would say the only thing he knew about the United States, his only impression of the United States was a movie he had seen once, and it was entitled Home Alone. <laughs> that was his vision of the United States. He had never seen the game of football didn't know about the game. He suddenly was learning about it there in junior high school, decided he wanted to play, started playing, and he decided he wanted to be a receiver. That looked so much fun. The only problem was he couldn't catch a ball. 
So finally the coach said, does anybody want to be a defensive lineman? He said, I'll try. And the rest is history. He had the ability to run over people, run around people, tackle the quarterback, chase down receivers. He was incredible. So much so that when he graduated high school, he had 42 scholarship offers to go to college on a scholarship. His family are people of great faith. He really believed that God has led him all along the way, closing and opening doors to bring him to that point. And so as a man who prayed about what to do and a man of great wisdom, he was very smart. He made the decision that he would go to the University of Texas. What can I say? <laughs> so as a faithful man, a smart man, he goes to the University of Texas. There he stars for the next three years. And finally, after his junior year, he decides to go to the NFL. He's drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. And his rookie season, in preseason, his knee gets hit, has a meniscus tear, and he's out for the season. So this year, he finally was healed. It was his first year to get to play the full year, and he was incredible. Started every game. He was playing so hard, and he was so incredible until the last game, last play of the season. And he made such a mistake. He finally was able to walk into the locker room. All the press wanted to have some sort of interview with him. And he was man enough to say, absolutely. But then B.J. Hill, a lineman, came up right beside him. And B.J. Hill was a big guy, and he said, I'll help handle the questions here. And one reporter says, so how does it feel to know you lost the game and all the weight on your shoulders? What kind of a question is that? What do you want out of this guy? What do you want him to say? Next question. B.J. Hill just steps up right beside him and kind of takes over and I'll help direct this, this interview. And so he goes through the interview with Hill sometimes saying, nope, yes, nope. He's right there beside him. And I think watching how these teammates came around him, watching the coach, Zach Taylor say, no, 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 no. One play, one person does not lose a game. There were many plays. They really stepped up to care. And he would ultimately say, we're a family, and when things get going tough, we don't point fingers. We're there for each other. I am so grateful for the men in this locker room, and I am so sorry. It was a powerful moment. Someone wrote and said, if you're a fan for Kansas City and you're seeing what happened, you may be gloating. And if you're a fan for the Cincinnati Bengals, you may be so angry and you're saying bad things about him. All I can ask is, what if this young man was your son? What if he was your brother? What if he was your friend? 
when I saw what happened with Joseph Osai and all these people around him, I thought of gentleness. It's what he needed so desperately. It's what the team needed desperately. And I think that's what Paul was trying to create in Philippi, a sense of gentleness. We're living in a rough and tumble world in the Roman Empire, and things are going to get said, and things are going to happen, and people are going to fail. What we need is for people to be known by your gentleness. When you live in a spirit of gentleness, it's so much easier to rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, Paul says earlier than that, help them agree in the Lord. He's talking about Erodia and Syntyche. Erodia and Syntyche are two women there in Philippi. They're obviously leaders in the church. Everybody knows them. Paul will call them out and say, these two women have worked side by side with me. They are good people. But right now they disagree with each other. They are arguing. They are fighting with each other. Help them agree in the Lord. Now, I don't believe Paul is trying to say to them, you need to get them to believe the same thing. I think what Paul is saying is they're going to believe some different things right now, but help them remember that what binds us together is our love of Christ, God's grace. It's not believing all the same thing. Help them agree in Christ. Sometimes you and I forget we have our beliefs. Beliefs that affect our actions, what we say and do. But then there's faith. Faith is trust in God's constant love of us as children. We talk about this all the time. Faith is trusting in God's constant love of us as children. Faith is trusting in the mystery of God's grace that you and I cannot always explain. We do not control it. It is a free gift. Do you trust in the mystery of of God's love, the gift of God's grace. And though we may not agree on all beliefs, we still can agree in the Lord. We agree in our faith and trust in Christ, loving Christ, even though we may have different beliefs. And that's how you wind up being a family who does not agree on all things, but yet we are one family of faith. Paul would say, help them agree in the Lord. You know, I'll never forget, it was a, a Monday morning, more than 20 years ago now, really. 20 years ago, I was sitting at my desk, my assistant put together, put through a phone call, and I answered the phone call, and when I did, there was this very lively voice saying, hello, Pastor Bob, this is Pastor John, hallelujah, praise Jesus, I watch your show every Sunday morning. Oh my goodness, we are soul partners. We're on the same page. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. i just so thankful for your show. Praise God. I have a show on TBN. I was hoping that maybe, praise Jesus, you might come be on our show on TBN. Hallelujah. Hello? <laughs> soul partners? 
I, I could tell that he came from a more Pentecostal tradition. More out of the holiness movement. But then I thought, how many Pentecostal traditions, holiness movement has grown out of the Methodist church? Maybe we're cousins. We, we, we can think about these things. I thought, you know, I know that we're going to have some theological differences. And I know we worship different. Praise Jesus. You know, I, I, I was thinking, I grew up in a very staid um, way to worship. I grew up at First Methodist Church in Houston. Beautiful church, downtown church, stained glass windows, big pipe organ. I mean, I think only the Lutherans and Episcopalians were more staid than we were. No, we, we had our hymnals. We had our bulletin. We would read our creeds. We would stand and sing our hymns. We would sit and... If you had ever stood at First Methodist Church and were singing a hymn and held your hand up, the ushers would have known you were choking. <laughs> they were trained to respond quickly with a Heimlich maneuver. We, we were stayed. I thought about when I went to Bear Creek Methodist Church. Bear Creek was a great church there on the western side of Houston. Had a beautiful sanctuary just had opened up. Would sit over a thousand people. And it was kind of the long looking church. And it was a great place. We are the fifth fastest growing Methodist church in America. And recently one of the people who had joined, about a year before, was a lady named Charlene. Charlene was African American. She was out of the Pentecostal tradition. She was so much fun. Everybody loved her. She had a voice, and she joined the choir, and our choir was so pleased to have Charlene singing with them. She was good. And then Pentecost Sunday came. I should have been prepared. <laughs> Pentecost Sunday came, and I was preaching all about the coming of the Holy Spirit, God pouring His power out, tongues of fire that were on everyone's head, how it all came to us. And when I came to the end of that sermon and I said, Amen, Charlene hit the floor like a sack of potatoes. She was slain in the Spirit. Now, you know, to be slain in the Spirit is truly a very holy moment. I mean, but it can leave you to where you're like you're passed out. You're just not even moving. I mean, she hit the floor, slain in the Spirit, this holy moment lying there, all the choir had no idea what was going on. They were incredibly worried about her. They all gathered around her and they quickly called 911. So I came down front to get the final hymn. I don't know what's going on behind me. No, I came down, I asked for the final hymn. We sing the final hymn. They're trying to take care of Charlene. I head down the center aisle and pronounce the benediction. I get to the back. And an usher comes over and says, Bob, Charlene went down in the choir loft. She is okay. She was slain in the spirit, and they've called 911. <laughs> the fire department was only right around the corner. And so when I literally got to the back of the church, here came the paramedics and a fire truck, lights flashing, already pulling into the parking lot, pulling up to the front of the church, and 
they were jumping out of their trucks, running towards the church. And I'm saying, stop, stop. It's okay. We still have a lady who got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when you get the Holy Spirit here at Bear Creek, we call 911. Never forget that day. So I'm thinking of all these things, and I have this gentleman saying, we're soul partners. Why don't you come on my show? And I finally thought, Bob, you're always saying how you believe in loving everybody. Why wouldn't it mean this gentleman, who may have some different theological beliefs, different worship style? I listened to him. He seemed like a very fine man. And so I said, absolutely. I'll look forward to being on your show. And so several weeks later, I went to go be on his show and he talked about his faith journey, praise Jesus, and I talked about mine. And we had a great time. We learned about each other. We shared about God, our love for Christ. Though we were different, we had such a good time talking together. Like I said, that call came on a Monday morning. It was Thursday of that week that I got a letter. It was an anonymous letter. And I opened it up and it said, Dear Pastor Bob, I watch St. Luke's on TV every Sunday morning. I'm gay. Most of my life I have not felt welcome in church. But I've told other friends about this. And we now get together on Sunday mornings and we watch on TV. We worship with St. Luke's every Sunday morning. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the sermons on God's grace, on God's love. And I thought, if you got all of us into a room, we would probably have some different beliefs. But there was no doubt that all of us loved Christ. That we all had faith in God's constant love of us, His children. That we all trusted in the mystery of God's grace. And I thought, surely, having that faith can transcend the differences of beliefs. It was doing it that one week. I think Paul was trying to say to the church in Philippi, you're not all going to believe the same thing. But you all love Christ. Help them agree in the Lord. When you and I will choose to be gentle and to love in the Lord, then it becomes easy to love God and to love all. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.